tell you, it was a good day when the Toombs family walked into this church. And uh, I'm taking them with me, so. Uh, uh, we're in Titus chapter 2. I, I thank you for being here tonight. Gosh, it's good to be back on Sunday nights. It is so. I know I've beaten this drum for 31 years until I've worn it out. But uh, this church has moved forward because of Sunday nights. Because if this group, this remnant, this core of a larger church family does not grasp and understand what needs to happen in the times in which we live, then the larger church family will never get it. You have to be spreaders of the virus of hope and faith and vision. And uh, I, I'm grateful for so many of you that have made Sunday nights a priority uh, through the years, up and down times, some of you it has been difficult to get here, and you've still gotten here for the house of prayer, for the things we've been able to do on Sunday nights. And uh, I really believe we wouldn't be where we are today if it hadn't been for Sunday nights. And uh, it is... Um, it's what I'll miss the most. Is this service because you're here because you want to be? So, now if y'all gonna make me be this way <laughs> for the next three weeks, I'm not coming back. <laughs> All right, let's talk tonight about what we owe the next pastor. And I'll get into Titus 2 about halfway through this message. This is not what I would really call a sermon. This is more um, me sharing my heart with you about where we are personally, where we need to be corporately to prepare our hearts for the next thing that God has for us as a church family. Terry and I covet your prayers. Um, Obviously, we're asking God for healing. I hope you don't take us off your prayer list come the end of April. I hope you leave us on there. That would be very kind of you to do. But uh, we, we need to determine what's next for us. And uh, uh, I did, uh, I've done several podcasts and uh, radio interviews. For some reason, it seems to be a big deal to some people that I've stayed somewhere 31 years, I said, hey, Jesus stayed here 33 years, and uh, so I'm still short of the goal. Uh, but uh, one, one guy said, uh, I thought I read somewhere you didn't believe in retiring, and I don't. I do believe in refocusing, and that God has released us to whatever the next thing is, and, 
And I believe it's time for us to pass the torch to a younger man uh, who can take this church into the future. Uh, I do not have the years left or the strength left to cast a vision for 2030, but there is a man out there that does. And uh, God knows who he is. And as uh, Tom Ellis said, you want to find somebody that is entrenched where he is, but God tugs his heart to leave where he is to come to Albany and pour his life in there. And uh, so there are a lot of people that probably like to be the pastor of this church. Most of them, uh, quite honestly, wouldn't make it because they would uh, be overwhelmed by the size of ministries or they would be overwhelmed by our community and they would just quit after a few years. And this church can't afford that. This community can't afford that. You need a long-term pastor to follow a long-term pastor. Uh, That's my humble and accurate opinion, which I highly respect. (laughs) So these next three weeks, I want to call to remembrance some things. Some things you will sit there and say, well, I know that. I've heard that. You've said that. but I want to call some things to remembrance because that's what Scripture does. When you read Scripture, it's often a calling to remembrance. We, rem- we remind the Lord of His promises. We remind one another of the commitments that we've made to one another. Uh, we remember God's faithfulness. So there's a lot about remembering in the Scriptures, but also there's a calling forward that we don't wallow in the past, we don't worship the past, but we move forward. And so what happens in moving forward is essential. So um, these are going to be kind of like family fireside chats. Uh, Transitions are no small thing, whether it's in government. (laughs) Uh, Man. Or in families are in church families. There are consequences in transitions. But there don't have to be train wrecks. They're hard. But they don't have to be difficult. They're just different. Any transition is a time when things are different. Uh, I, I remember when Our kids went off to college. It's a transition. Hallelujah, we got them out of the house. They came back for a while. Uh, You know, leave and cleave. You You know, we left, we got married, and we left and went to Kansas City. I think to my mother in law's dying day, she never forgave me for taking her oldest child. 21 hours away. I rejoiced in every minute of it. uh, (laughs) So the question is, why now? Well, as I've told you before, I've always said, as long as I had vision, passion, and health, I wanted to stay and be the pastor of Sherwood. That was my hope, and that was my dream. I don't think there's any 
better church uh, in the country. There are bigger churches. But at its core and at its heart, when we could easily go negative in, in a culture that is negative, we have risen to the occasion at every turn. Whether it's been a natural disaster, whether it's been a crisis in our culture, whatever it's been, we've risen to the occasion. Not every church can say that. Some churches can do it once, but to continually do it says something about the DNA of this church and about who you are and uh, what God is doing in your lives. I I've said I didn't want to stay too long or leave too soon, and that requires a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and a nudge of the Spirit that brings the peace of God. I, I was talking to a guy uh, this past week on a, a radio show that will be on in uh, May, and he said, how did you know that it was time? And I said, there was a release, and I felt a nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, now's the time. He said, well, what did that nudge feel like? I said, it felt like the peace of God and the God of peace, Philippians chapter 4. It felt like God had given me a peace about the decision. I didn't wrestle anymore. I didn't say, yeah, but. I didn't think I could try it and then move the goalpost and then say, well, maybe now, well, maybe not now. It was just this peace came over me. Uh, that it was time to do it. I want to continue to uh, preach, and uh, I think the best is ahead for you. Uh, I'm hoping I don't end up as a greeter at Dollywood. <laughs> I'm really hoping I'm not like some of the folks in East Tennessee. Boy, somebody's going to hear this. Uh, these gray-headed guys that are thin on top and they got a ponytail that goes way down the back and they're wearing overalls and a tie-dyed t-shirt. I hope that's not me. If it is, just come visit me and throw me off my deck and let the bears eat me. Uh, I, I want to encourage pastors however I can. I've done a couple of Zoom calls with pastors lately, just a handful of guys just talking to them about how to handle life and trials. And, uh, but here's what I know. I know that physically I can no longer handle the pressure of day-to-day -day or of doing two fresh sermons a week. I just physically can't do it. Physically and I mentally uh, can't do it. And it's not fair to you. It's not fair to the Word. It's not fair to the Holy Spirit. It's not fair to the future of this church for me to limp along and you have to deal with less than God's best. And so uh, that's why I felt a release. Bob Russell wrote a great book called Transition Plan. <clears throat> and in it, uh, John Maxwell said, a legacy is created only when a person puts his organization into the position to do great things without him. <clears throat> and I hope that's what I've done. 
that this church can do great things without me. If it's dependent on me, then it's dependent on the wrong person. It needs to be dependent on the Lord. And uh, the uh, transition team has the guidelines that I gave them, and they've had an advisory board, and they've prayed, and they've met for prayer, and they've processed, and they're going at a good pace, uh, you don't need to ask them every week how things are going. Just pray for them. Uh, in that book, Bob gives uh, five significant reasons why churches need to transition. Number one, we are all going to die. No one lives forever. In 31 years, I've lived through a lot of transitions here. I've watched people go to glory that taught in our children's ministry and preschool for 20 and 30 years that were faithfully served God here. I mean, faithfully served God here. Secondly, we lose energy and imagination as we age. We lose energy and imagination as we age. Thirdly, older leaders almost always lose the ability to inspire younger people. Now, I hope that's not true for me, but there is the reality of that. And uh, if I really believe what that sign in the atrium says, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them, I know that there's a better chance of somebody younger than me getting them than me. Fourthly, the one stepping aside has another chapter of meaningful life to live and is respected in that role. And then fifthly, for the good of the organization. You see, any good leader puts the welfare of the organization ahead of his own interest. That's just a fact. I love this church too much to stay beyond my expiration date. You know, they, these grocery stores and all these things have these labels on bottles now. That, you know, you never had them when we were growing up. You know, you could reach in a medicine cabinet when you are growing up. It had been there since your grandmother was 12. And you say, I bet these are still good. And now it's got a sell-by date. And, you know, my, Terry says, well, that doesn't mean you have to throw it away by then. I think it means you have to throw it away by then. Because sell-by means, you know, if sell-by on milk means something then it means it on medicine too. Sell by, take by, do this. So I, I don't want to stay past my expiration date on effective leadership. Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what now? Why now? What now? For our family, it's a new dimension of faith. Uh, we're stepping out of a, the security of a full-time job, out of uh, a loving church and church family, out of decades-long friendships. But we are committed to holding loosely that which God has entrusted to us. It's never been my church. Not since 1989, and it's not my church today. It has always been his church, and I pray it will always be his church. Uh, I know this. We didn't deserve all the things that God did. 
And the only reason God did them is because this church prayed us through them and prayed through the things that came before us. The things that we are known for are because of prayer. The things that we will be known for will be because of prayer or prayerlessness. Here's what you owe the next pastor. You need to bathe him in prayer. Well, tell us what his name is. You need to bathe him in prayer. God knows his name. You just need to bathe him in prayer. You need to already start calling his name before God. God, the next pastor of this church, I don't know who it is, but I'm praying for your hand to be on him. And, and, and just let me just put it in this context. If the success of this transition and of the next pastor depended just on your prayers individually, how successful would it be? That's how important this is. Because you multiply praying people, then the greater possibility of the success of the next pastor and of this transition is multiplied even further. But if it just depends on you and on your, not, and I'm not just saying, Lord bless the next pastor, amen. I'm, I'm talking about setting time aside to pray that God sends the right man here to be the pastor of this church. <clears throat> now, I'm going to tell you a story that if those that have been on the refresh team have heard me tell this story on more than one occasion. But when Wilbur Chapman was 27 years old, uh, he often told the story about as a young man, he went to pastor a church in Philadelphia. And after his first sermon, this 87-year-old man came up to him and he said, you're a pretty young preacher for this church but you preach the gospel and I'm going to help you all I can. Chapman said, I got offended at first because this man called me a young preacher and said I was pretty good. But then the man continued, I'm going to pray for you that you may have the Holy Spirit's power upon you. And two others in this church have covenanted to join with me in prayer for you. And Dr. Chapman said, I didn't feel so bad when I learned he was going to pray for me. And the three became 10, the 10 became 20, and the 20 became 50, and the 50 became 200 who met before every service to pray that the Holy Spirit might come upon me. I always went, this was Chapman's words, I always went into my pulpit feeling that I would have the anointing in answer to the prayers of those who had faithfully prayed for me, and it was a joy to preach. This is his testimony after he left the church. The result was that we received 1,100 people into our church by conversion in three years, 600 of whom were men. It was the fruit of the Holy Spirit in answer to prayer. That's how important it is. And as Garrett said earlier, we're starting back with uh, pastor's prayer partners on Sunday morning. I know for some people that's inconvenient, but 745 on Sunday mornings just to meet and pray over the room and pray for God to bless and use the services. Folks, we need to get back to what made us who we are. 
and we haven't been able to do that. Uh, in fact, that story was the beginning of us doing Pastor's Prayer Partners. That story was the beginning of me sending the email out to 200 praying men, which goes to far more people than that. So here's what we owe the pastor. We owe the next pastor faithfulness to be all in. To be all in. Not just kind of in, not just sort of in, but we owe him our faithfulness to be all in. Secondly, don't come to church comparing him to what I do or to what I did. God is not in the business of making clones. Moses was different from Joshua. Joshua was different from Gideon. Elijah was different from Elisha. David was different from Solomon. Peter was different from Paul. I mean, God uses different people in different ways, but all for the same reason, that the gospel might be proclaimed. The new pastor is going to be different. I hope so. I believe he's going to be better. Thirdly, don't come expecting things to be exactly the same. I hope he doesn't have white hair. <laughs> Give him latitude. Be patient with him. Give him time. When I came here in 1989, I had people in my office within three weeks that told me what they didn't like about me and that they were leaving. Can I beg you by the mercies of God, give the guy some time. Don't be that person. And if you find somebody that's that person, rebuke them in the name of Jesus. Ask them to be as patient with the new pastor as God is patient with you. Amen? Your greatest gift to this pastor is going to be your faithfulness. He needs to know that he can depend on you. He needs to know that he can count on you. He's walking into a new situation in a new city with new people. He's got a lot to learn and catch up on and to find out what the DNA is of all that goes on here, and he needs you to be faithful with him in that whole process. So now I'm at Tim, T Titus chapter 2, which I'm going to hit, weave in and out of. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny godliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly, in the present age. That's how we're supposed to live right now. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people. I love that phrase. To purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Pray that God's man, when he comes here, will be a preacher of the word, but pray that you will listen to the word as he preaches it. Okay? So, 
Let me give you my responsibility right now in just these moments. I need to do what Moses did before Joshua took the reins. You ever read Deuteronomy? Moses rehearses the whole history of Israel. And you got to know, there were people sitting there going, we know, we know, we know. Yeah, blessing and cursing and God will get mad and we'll lose the land. And we know we get it, but they didn't get it, did they? And by the time the generation of Joshua had passed, they were in bondage to their enemies. So my job is to do what Moses did before Joshua came. In a time of transition, you remind people what God has said and why it's important that God said it. He told the people, and then he handed the baton over to Joshua. My responsibility is to do what Joshua did before he passed off the scene. <laughs> he told them what God has said. And then he called them to obedience. Now remember, Moses had said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then we come years later, and Joshua is about to pass off the scene. He's a very old man now. And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And all the people say, us too. We're going to do it too. My responsibility tonight is to tell you that you need to say to you and your house, you will serve the Lord. You're, you're not here to serve me. You're here to serve him. That, that's why you're here. What David did for Solomon to prepare a way. David wanted to build a temple, but he didn't get to build it. David was a battler. Solomon was a builder. Uh, but David collected the materials to put the temple together so that when Solomon came on the scene, he could build the temple. By the grace of God, we've been able to build a lot of great facilities here for the next guy to use. Uh, the vision planning team will know this, and I may have said it to you at times in the past, I didn't want the next pastor to walk in here with those bathrooms that you could never get the smell out of them and those preschool rooms that you could never get the smell out of them and those bathroom doors that you had to go in sideways to get into them because they were about this wide. And I didn't want that guy to walk in and the first deacon's meeting he had say, why didn't Michael do something about these facilities before he left? It was my job to spend my change and my influence to move us forward to have the facilities for generations to come. Those facilities were great for us for a season. Now we have the facilities for the next season in the life of our church. That was my job, was to prepare it so that he could do greater things as the pastor of this church. My job is to do what Jesus did for his disciples, to prepare them, to remind them, to encourage them, to disciple them, and to say, now go do what I called you to do. 
Our job is to do what Paul did for Timothy and Titus, to say, here's how you need to lead. Here's what you need to say. Here's the way you need to say it, and this is what you need to watch out for. The situation in this text is a lot like the world we live in today. There are a lot of preachers today that will preach to itching ears. They will tell you what you want to hear. They will tell you in a way that you want to hear it. And they will almost tell you the truth. They will come around the edges of truth, but they won't speak truth. And when Paul instructed Timothy and Titus, he flat told them, you guard the gospel. You make sure that you do what God's told you to do. And so he's reminding them that their homes would be destroyed, their lives would be destroyed by listening to clever speakers that had dishonest motives. Their children would be affected. So he addresses the problem. And after telling Titus in chapter 2, verse 1, to teach sound doctrine, he goes into the extended discourse on the practical application of sound doctrine, and then he returns at the end to where he started. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Pray that your next pastor, when he speaks, does not speak with a stutter. And by that, I don't mean physical stuttering. I mean that he doesn't almost say something. Your children need a pastor that says what God says. The next generation needs a pastor that says what God says. If you look at verse 14 and put yourself in this situation, imagine these people seeing and, and reading these words for the first time and hearing them for the first time, and they're looking back on what God did for them in salvation in verse 11, and they're looking forward to a soon-coming king. And in light of those two realities, looking back on their salvation and looking forward to the coming of Christ, this was how they were supposed to live. And so Paul pictures for them to be a waiting church. And by waiting, he did not mean inactivity. It, there was an expectant waiting to live every day in light of eternity. So let me apply that to where we are right now. Don't go into neutral waiting for the next pastor. Keep running the race. Don't say, well, we're waiting, put it in neutral. Call us when he comes, we'll come back. There will be people that will do that. Don't be one of those people. Be engaged, be fully engaged so that when he comes, he finds a fully engaged people and he doesn't find a church that needs to repent that it's gone backwards during a transition time instead of forwards. See, if I'm waiting the right way, I'm doing the right things. And Paul tells Titus and, and tells us how to wait and how to live while we wait. So what is it for us personally? What is it for you? What is it for me, Jesus gave himself for us. He, he loved us. There's a price that was paid. He gave himself to redeem us, Galatians 1.4. He gave himself for our sins, Ephesians 5.2. He gave himself up for us. His death purchased our redemption. He died in our place. The message of the pulpit and the pew needs to be first and foremost the saving life of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ. 
Now, let me give you a warning here. In times of transition, the devil will try to slip in and steal and kill and destroy a fellowship. And it doesn't take long. And the longer a transition goes, the more the devil finds ways to get in. And people begin to doubt, and they begin to murmur, and they begin to question. And then all of a sudden, somebody says to them, well, y'all don't have a pastor. We have a pastor at our church. Why don't you come visit us? Oh, well, okay. Well, we'll come visit you. Well, and then we'll just see what, what Sherwood does, and we'll, we'll see if we like the new guy or not. Don't do that. Don't, don't make the new guy inherit that mentality. So I've just got three words for you here. Don't bail, prevail. Amen. Don't bail, prevail. Paul reminded the elders of Ephesus of their obligation to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among, the Holy, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, Acts 20 and verse 28. A purpose was clearly given. The days ahead are going to require unwavering faithfulness. They're going to require your hands to the plow. They're going to require unceasing prayer. They're going to require you to remember it's God's church, it's not yours. It's going to require you to remember that he redeemed you from every lawless deed, that we are to live under God's authority. And that the world should look at us and realize that we are a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds, set apart, that we are obedient and expectant. We're just waiting with prayerful anticipation for the day when God says, this is the guy. And there ought to be jumping and shouting and hallelujahs Amen. when it happens. Whatever we want other people to be, we have to be ourselves. Uh, and I, I've said this before. I will just say it again quickly before we go to the fourth point. I've watched far too many pastors stay around and become sounding boards for people that question the new guy. That's one reason why I'm moving seven hours away. I'm not going to be the guy sitting in the room because wherever I sit in the room, some of you, whatever he does, if he quotes John 3.16, you're going to... What does Michael think about John 3.16? How's he feel about that? Did he use the New American Standard Version uh, when he said that? I believe I need to call Michael and tell him he doesn't use the New American Standard Version. It'll be okay. So let's look at the church corporately. God has redeemed a church, verse 14, for himself. He set apart, just like he did Abraham, just like he did Isaac and Jacob and the people of Israel and the church, and just like Jesus talked about those who the Father gave him. 
You've been chosen by God. You've been drawn to this place. There's an atmosphere and an environment in this place that cannot be explained by personalities. It can only be explained by the presence of God. So let me say to you, you are not here haphazardly. And God did not save you indiscriminately. You are here to do the will of God. You are a people of his own possession, a peculiar people. Now, some of you are a little more peculiar than others, but, uh, but the word peculiar is used seven times in Scripture. It says we're a peculiar people. It says we are a peculiar treasure. In other words, we are unique because we are God's people. God has called us out of this world to stand apart from this world. We need to act like the children of God, people of his own possession. Act like a child of the king. So that gives me a current illustration. Man, is the royal family a mess or what? I mean, have you ever seen anything? I mean, talk about y'all should marry outside your cousins. I mean, they're fighting and they're fussing and they're making terrible statements and there are questions about if this one's wife is even going to go to Prince Philip's funeral and all this kind of stuff. They're not acting like the child of a king or a queen. And the king and queen sometimes don't act like a king and queen. I mean, you just study the history of the royal family. Study the way they treated Diana. Study the way Prince Charles has acted. They're a mess. You know what they are? They're a Baptist church without the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what they are. Let's get a committee together. Let's get a group together. Let's, let's organize a group to figure this all out. No. You need to act like you're a child of the king. And when you're a child of the king, you should behave like a child of the king. And I'm not talking about an earthly king. I'm talking about the king who sits on a throne in heaven. And his children should represent him well in this world. And when the world looks at us, they should see that royal blood flows through our veins. It has redeemed us. It has sanctified us. It has set us apart. And it is how we are going to get to heaven. So, that's enough about that. <laughs> Finally, uh, for our witness to this region, he, he saved us from every lawless deed for good deeds. So basically, this is practical. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Be ready for every good deed. Verse 8. Engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. I'll just sum it up this way. Keep doing what God's told you to do. Be passionate, zealous for good deeds. All it takes for a church to die is for people to lose their zeal. J.I. Packer said, we need believers with warm-hearted compassion and clear-minded passion. The next shepherd of this church is not a hireling. He's not hired help. 
He would be a God-called man to be the shepherd of a flock. Verse 15, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So three things here quickly. Pray for his teaching, for his speech when he speaks out, whether he's teaching or preaching or instructing, whatever he's doing. Pray for his teaching. Pray when he exhorts, when he advises, when he commends, when he admonishes. And pray when he rebukes, when he reprimands if needed. My feeling is God is giving this next pastor an incredible church, a great church. I mean, if I wasn't sick and almost 69, I wouldn't leave, <laughs> but I am then it's time for me to do it. I'm grateful for deacons who have been men full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm grateful that in the first month of my ministry here, that uh, Dove Flowers passed the baton to Ron Dormany, and Ron Dormany served more than any other deacon chairman has ever served in this church and he helped me guide our deacon body to stop being a second finance committee looking at 27 pages of checks that have been written and start being a spiritual body if i hadn't had the deacon chairman that i've had we wouldn't be the church that we are and i'm grateful for men who have not politicked for positions but have been men full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful for teachers who have taught the word here, whether it's preschool children, youth, adults, senior adults. We've got people in their 90s still teaching. I mean, where do you find that in a world where people think commitment is a six-month deal? I'm grateful for people that teach the word. They just don't show up. They teach the word. I'm grateful for people who have served faithfully. I'm grateful for people who have stuffed bulletins when we used to do that, <laughs> who have opened doors, who have greeted, who have changed diapers they didn't want to change and babies they didn't know. I'm grateful for people who have given willingly I'm grateful we are a church that follows pastoral leadership. Can I just say there, <clears throat> this has not been a hard church to pastor. I, I get phone calls all the time, and, and with Refresh, I've had more conversations than I ever want to have about hard churches to pastor and pastors that just want to quit. This is not a hard church to pastor. It's a great church to pastor. It's a church that is a blessing to pastor. I'm grateful for the vision planning team who have always served faithfully and offered their wisdom through the years on every major project that we've uh, endeavored to take on, who have helped me and guided me and uh, helped me fine-tune things and given their wisdom that I don't have. 
I'm grateful for a staff that's been diligent to serve and to lead in their areas. Uh, I, I'm grateful for a staff that hasn't had to be micromanaged. Now, I'm a nitpicker by nature, but I'm grateful for a staff that hasn't been needed to be micromanaged. You, you just tell them, this is what we need to do, and they figure it out, and they do it. I'm grateful for the facilities we've been able to build. I'm grateful for the ministries uh, that we've started. We are known by and large about, by Sherwood Pictures, but we're also known by the Refresh Conferences and by the Crisis Pregnancy Centers and by the Recreation Ministry and by the Hope Center. I want to tell you something. There are people that have never darkened the door of this church that have gotten free meals from us. There are people that have never darkened the door of this church that have had people in this church come cut trees off of their roofs. That's a great church. That's a great church. I'm grateful God gave us the Hope Center and for the many ways that it's used that even I don't fully know all the ways that it's used. I'm grateful for people that are able to get their GED there. I'm grateful for young men that learn how to do basic car repairs. I'm, I'm grateful for the, the classes that we were able to teach there. I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the people that have done so much in so many ways. And I want to tell you, when the next guy comes... He's going to be overwhelmed by how good God has been to call him here. If you stay faithful to doing good deeds. Finally, I'm grateful that God has a man that he's going to lead here and a man that is going to take you to the next level. I'm begging you, love him, Follow him, pray for him, support him, and before he ever comes, stand ready to say, what do you need us to do? With that attitude, you'll have God's man. Trust me, you will. God will tug his heart. And God will put his heart together with our transition team. And there will be a oneness in them and a oneness in you that you cannot explain except the work of the Holy Spirit doing it in your midst. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these precious people. I thank you for worship tonight. I just thank you that we were able to be back tonight and to gather together and that so many people came tonight. And I thank you for Kids Rock going on tonight and for all the things that are happening on this campus. I pray your blessings. I pray this transition would be a model, an example to every church that ever tries to figure out how to transition 
from a long-term pastor to a new pastor. Or just like we have modeled so many other things through the years, may we now be a church that models how to do this right. Lord, I believe that the best is yet to come. I believe there's a land to be taken, there are lives to be saved, there are ministries to be started, there are families to be restored, there are students to be reached, there are children to be engaged, there are senior adults to be ministered to, and in your good time, and according to your will and your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that the day will quickly come when there is an announcement, we have found the next pastor. Lord, wherever he is tonight, just bless him like crazy. Bless his family. Bless his thoughts. Bless his decision-making. And Lord, draw him to this place with an undeniable call, just as undeniable as the one I had 31 years ago. I pray for an undeniable, unequivocal call of God on the next pastor. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.